The Ultimate Betrayal, coming up on Light on the Hill. I have found that peace only comes from you. I have found that joy only comes from you. Cause all I need is you. The Bible tells us about what the future holds for the nation of Israel and the whole world. The final Antichrist will be allowed to usher in destruction, and it will be a very dark and terrible time. Zechariah has a lot to say about this, and there's much to learn, so stay with us for Light on the Hill. Here's Pastor James Cadiz in Zechariah chapter 11. All right, so before we read chapter 11, um, I want to say that there are many passages in the Bible where you get a phenomenal history lesson um, about things that have happened in the past. Yet when that happens in the Bible, oftentimes, especially in the writings of the prophets, you uh, follow me when I say this, right? I don't want it to sound confusing, but you get an awesome history lesson of things that happened in the past, even though when the history lesson was given to us, it had not happened yet, right? Think of it as history being rehearsed to us a hundred years or several hundred years before it actually happens. And so it's God giving us a prophetic word about something that's going to happen in the future. And then when we read passages like these prophets, we begin to realize that the history lesson that Zechariah was actually giving was a prophecy of the future, but yet we can see it come into fruition. And thus we know exactly what happened. It's very interesting when you read, uh, for example, the end of Isaiah chapter 52 and into chapter 53, it is very much a very accurate account of history uh, depicting the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It's very obvious. If you wanted to read it, it is perhaps a very poetic picture of what actually happened to the Lord, yet when Isaiah wrote it, he wrote it somewhere in the neighborhood of about 750 years before it actually happened, right? And so there are many passages like this, and of course, in the book of Zechariah, there is no exception. We see that beginning to take place. Now, when this was written, it was written in somewhere in the neighborhood of about 487 BC, yet it's depicting a lot of what happens in 70 AD when Titus came in and actually uh, destroyed Israel and Jerusalem. And it also depicts a portion around 33 AD uh, when Jesus is betrayed. And then, of course, what's interesting is when we get near the end of Zechariah, chapter 11, it is actually speaking about something that has not yet happened yet. But we know it's well on the way because we see evidence of it around us everywhere. So it's very interesting when you go through this passage. And um, oftentimes this passage is looked at as a passage where um, people will say this is God proclaiming judgment on shepherds that have neglected or fallen away from their responsibility. In this context, that is actually not what's going on. It sounds that way, but that's not what's going on. It is, in essence, God bringing in a false shepherd, right? Since the true shepherd was rejected, God brings in a false shepherd, which is understood or known to be the Antichrist, the final Antichrist. So it's, it's very interesting 
interesting when you see terminology like this in Zechariah chapter 11. Uh, very rich, very accurate, very uh, powerful depiction of what we know actually happened in the past. But it's powerful because we know that this was written somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 years before it actually happened. Maybe a little bit past 500 years. So very interesting stuff. Again, God making that declaration. So let's read it here. It says, Open thy doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour thy cedars. Howl, fir tree, for the cedar is fallen because the mighty are spoiled. Howl, O you oaks of Bashan, for the forest of the vintage is come down. Now, it's interesting because upon your initial perusal of uh, these verses, you might think this is God declaring judgment upon Lebanon. Of course, Lebanon being to the north of Israel, it is at the northern border of Israel where you would go to where Dan is in the north. Lebanon is directly above there. And so the picture here, or what the picture appears to be to a lot of people, is God declaring judgment upon Lebanon, but that's not what's happening here. What's actually happening is God is in essence saying, we're opening the gateway to the north, and we are going to allow the attackers from the north to come down upon Israel, right? And it's interesting because when Israel was attacked, especially in the past, as you begin to read the accounts of what happened, typically Israel would be attacked from the north. Um, as we know, that's going to happen uh, from what we read about in Ezekiel chapter 38, when, of course, we know that uh, the leader of Russia um, and a conglomerate of other nations go to attack Israel, they will be attacking Israel presumably from the north. And so we're seeing the same kind of dynamic being spoken about, except what we're talking about here is the Romans. And when the Romans came to destroy Israel, finally, that was done from the north. When Titus marched into Jerusalem, he marched through Lebanon into Jerusalem, uh, obviously came further down south uh, from the northern border and came down and actually destroyed Jerusalem. And so this is a picture of what Titus actually did to uh, Jerusalem and the picture that took place there. It says this in verse 3. It says, There is a voice of the howling of shepherds, for their glory is spoiled, a voice of the roaring of young lions, for the pride of Jordan is spoiled. Thus the Lord, my God, Feed the flock of the slaughter whose possessors slay them and hold themselves not guilty. And they that sell them say, blessed be the Lord, for I am rich and their own shepherds pity them not. Now, it's interesting because, again, as you're reading this, the picture that is being drawn for us here is the destruction of Israel and what in essence was going to happen starting through the northern kingdom from the north, from Lebanon, coming down into Jerusalem. And that's exactly what happened with Jerusalem. That's exactly what Titus did. Titus came in, he destroyed Jerusalem. And what What's terrible when you read the accounts by Josephus in terms of what exactly happened in 70 AD when this attack actually took place by Titus, you have to understand almost a million men, women, and children were actually killed. And by the way, it's very interesting because it would have been the 9th of Av, 70 AD, when the temple was actually destroyed by Titus. By the way, the same 9th of Av, yet in 486 BC, when the original Solomon temple was actually destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Very interesting with that date, kind of uh, unique to see the same date, yet different years where that ends up happening. And Titus 
Jesus comes down and destroys the children of Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting because when Nebuchadnezzar came in to do that in 586 BC, you have to understand that almost the same amount of men, women, and children were murdered in uh, Jerusalem. And this was something that Jeremiah warned the people of. And he said this was going to happen. And then it finally got to the point where Israel didn't listen to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah kept telling them to repent, repent, repent. They didn't want to repent. And so finally he just said, listen, when Nebuchadnezzar comes in, don't fight him, right? Surrender, because it's going to minimize the destruction that happens to you. And of course, they didn't even do that. And so the destruction took place. And very similarly to what happened in Babylon, it actually happened with the Roman Empire as uh, the southern kingdom was uh, uh, actually destroyed in uh, or by Babylon in 586. Now we're seeing what remains of Israel being destroyed at this time. And so it's kind of a heavy thing. And look at what it says. It says, for I will no more pity the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord, but lo, I will deliver the man, every one into his neighbor's hand and into the hand of his king, and they shall smite the land and out of their hand, I will not deliver them. Now, this is very interesting because even at the time when Titus came in to destroy Jerusalem, you have to understand when you look at history of what took place in that land, it was getting to the point where there were more people dying at the hands of other Jews than there were anybody else. Uh, it had become crazy in uh, Jerusalem during that time, and there were lots of gangs that were amongst uh, uh, the city, uh, amongst uh, many Jewish people that were killing one another, and it was just a very terrible time. As a a matter of fact, so terrible of a time that they were actually getting to the point where they were resorting to cannibalism and all kinds of crazy things that was happening. And that is exactly what took place. And that's exactly what Zechariah actually said would happen, right? It's funny how that worked, right? Because of what had happened with Caesar Nero during that time, it sort of set into play a sort of civil war. There was a strife going on between all of them. And so the, the, the process of destruction had already started before Titus came in and actually destroyed uh, Jerusalem. So kind of a heavy picture, but that's all of that had taken place, right? And then look at this. This is interesting. It says, and I will feed the flock of the slaughter, even you, or O poor of the flock, right? Or verily the poor of the flock, right? And I took unto, uh, unto me two staves, meaning uh, we're talking about, uh, 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 when we talk about staves, we're talking about the, um, uh, the shepherd's rod, right? That's kind of the picture, right? He's saying, I took two staves, the one I called beauty and the other one I called bands, and I fed uh, the flock. Now, this is interesting because um, it's, it's sort of a, a, a picture here we're going to get of what happened and what actually took place. And God begins to take, he, he's beginning to use the picture of the shepherd. Now, I do think that it's very interesting how God at every bend during the time of Israel's history was doing everything that he can to warn them and to cause them to come to a place of repentance. He was dealing with them. He was uh, giving them uh, windows of hope. He was giving them an opportunity to receive uh, the true and living God, the Messiah, and they just continued to reject him. As a matter of fact, what is unique about this prophecy concerning what had happened with Jerusalem was the fact that Jesus was introduced to the Jews, right? Uh, right around 
that very beginning time period around 0 AD when Christ was actually born in Bethlehem and then of course right up until that point of 33 AD when Jesus was actually murdered he was put on the cross and the Jews had a lot to do with it they rejected him right and what's very interesting is the fact that this was not an issue of a Jewish thing versus Jesus because Jesus himself was a Jew when we talk about the Jews we're talking about the religious leaders of the time people that are supposed to be right people who rejected the gracious hand of God. They saw the Messiah come into play and they completely rejected him, which of course is very much uh, a sort of requisite with what you would expect even in the world in which we live today, right? Christ is uh, being introduced into this world as the only hope that we have. He always has been the only hope that we have, and people are rejecting that hope. And of course, that's exactly what happened in Israel during this time, and um, a very uh, destructive picture. So he takes these staves, uh, we're calling them shepherd's rods, just for everybody to understand, right? And then notice what it says here. Uh, this is interesting. Three shepherds also I cut off in one month, and my soul loathed them, and their soul also abhorred me. Now, there's a lot of people that look at this, commentators, and they're like, who do these three shepherds stand for, right? There's no specific figure in history that we could find that meet up with the discussion of these three shepherds, right? We can read all the way up to verse 7, and we know that what's being spoken about here very clearly is the Roman Empire coming in and destroying the southern kingdom or what was left of all of Israel, right? I call it the southern kingdom because of the location, because Jerusalem, but whatever was left of Israel was pretty much destroyed by the Romans. And so we know that that's what's being spoken about here. But who in the world is God talking about when he talks about these three shepherds? Okay. Now the belief here, and um, I do believe that uh, uh, there is really nothing that you can take and point to these three shepherds. But my assumption, what I believe these shepherds are, or the people that these shepherds are represent, three shepherds that were destroyed at that time, or their uh, significance was pretty much removed, right? were, of course, the rulers or kings, right? I would call them the governors, right? Whatever was remaining of the Jewish governors, that would have been one of the three shepherds. The second of the three shepherds would have been their priests at the time, right? And the third of the three shepherds would have been their prophets at the time, right? There were false prophets that were speaking during that time and were very, very vocal about the things that they said, especially concerning the time in which they were living, very similarly to the time of Babylon when that whole time happened. I believe that there were a lot of priests during that time that were uh, being bought and sold and paid for. There were a lot of priests that were actually giving false hopes and false messages, and there were a lot of prophets that were doing the same thing. If you remember, uh, most of Ezekiel's prophecy or ministry was uh, from the city of Babylon, and while he was in Babylon, he was telling everybody, don't listen to what the false prophets are saying. The false prophets are wrong. You better unpack your bags because you're going to be here for a long time. And, you know, the false prophets are saying, 
keep your bags packed keep your boxes already you know completely com compacted because we're going to be out of here soon and god's going to break us out of babylon and ezekiel's like nope babylon's not done they're not going to finish with uh israel and uh the reality of it is you better get used to being here for a long time because you're going to be here for a long for a long time of course ezekiel was right jeremiah said the same thing but he was saying it from within jerusalem he's saying get ready because you're about to get taken away from here that is if you survive the ugly hand of babylon right and of course daniel in essence was doing a completely different thing and daniel was sort of unpacking and settling in to babylon knowing that he would be there for a very very long time and became a very productive part of whoever the king was that was ruling in their administration at the time but all of whom were prophets that very vividly and accurately represented the heart of god and the reality of it was in that very moment all of them had false prophets to be dealing with during that time there were false prophets that were countering the words of jeremiah saying hey listen uh, Jerusalem's not going to get attacked. I don't know what you guys are worried about. Don't sweat that. That's all a lie. Don't even think about that. That's crazy, right? And of course, there were other people that were in, uh, prophets that were in Babylon that were saying, just stay packed, right? Don't try to unpack because we're out of here pretty soon, right? And so it's very interesting how the, uh, the same uh, categories of leaders were also beginning to lead the nation of Israel in a dark path. And God said, I'm going to deal with them all, right? I'm going to deal with the governors of that time, right? Who were, of course, by the way, bought and paid for by the Romans. And then he says, I'm going to deal with the priests of that time. And I'm definitely going to deal with the prophets of that time. They were false priests. They were false prophets. And the rulers and the kings were not doing any justice to the people of Israel during the time of Rome. So my personal opinion, I'm not saying that it's law, but my personal personal opinion is these three shepherds that we're talking about we are talking about kings we are talking about the prophets of the time and of course we are talking about the governors or the leaders you know during that moment so kings prophets and priests right so we're talking about them and by the way i think that that makes a lot of sense because when you look at the priests uh that uh were of that time they were extensions of the government and they themselves were the political leaders of the day uh as a matter of fact next week when we get into matthew chapter 17 we finish matthew chapter 17 we are going to be met with a story that not a lot of people remember and not a lot of people are familiar with and that is the story of the uh tax collectors representing the palace guard right we're talking about the temple tax uh collectors right they actually came and went to peter and pretty much questioned peter hey does jesus pay the temple tax and of course peter's like yeah he does and then jesus goes on to tell peter to instruct peter to go ahead and pay the tax but then he brings up a point and he says hey if you're a child and you live in your father's house do you pay a tax to your father and they're like, yeah, of course we don't. No, come on. You're a son. You're living in your dad's house. And Jesus says, well, that is my father's house, right? But I'm going to pay the taxes nonetheless. Go pull that fish out of the water. You'll have enough money to pay the tax. Pull the money out of there. And so it was. That was the case. So it's interesting because we still get insight into the fact that during that time, the time of the Romans, these people, these priests were absolutely terrible people. These prophets were terrible people and the rulers of the time were terrible people. Now, there were some exceptions to this, right? Like we meet uh, a priest, uh, of course, during the time um, of 
the birth of Christ that we know had to have been a solid one, right? This was the one uh, who happened to be the father of John the Baptist who was spoken to while he was actually in the temple doing the very thing that he was doing, taking on his obligation and responsibility. But for the most part, there were not a lot of solid priests. There were not a lot of solid prophets, and there certainly were no solid rulers. And so when God talks about these three shepherds, I believe that that's who he's talking about uh, related to that time period. So he says, three shepherds also I cut off in one month and my soul loathed them and their soul also abhorred me. And if that is the case, if we are talking about the kings during the time of the Roman Empire uh, that were directly related to the ruling of uh, the Jews, and if we are talking about the prophets of that time, and if we are talking about the priests of that time, then that would make sense because in that same month, in, in what we would call August, when Titus came in, the ninth of Av, when Titus came in and destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, he would have easily destroyed those offices, right? Because the view of Rome was that if you were a governor leading that quarter, you had already failed and you would be put to death for the way you allowed that quarter to end up going, which is why uh, we lost the governors of that place during that time because at the hands of Rome, they would have been killed. And it, of course, makes sense that the priests and the prophets would have been killed because they would have been part of the political infrastructure that would have led the rebellion against Rome. And Rome wasn't having any of that. And Rome viewed it as a rebellion against them because of the civil war that was beginning to take place. So all of this seems to sort of make sense. It seems to be exactly what happened. Thank you for joining us today for Light on the Hill with Pastor James Cadiz. We'll get back to our study shortly. To listen again, go to lightonthehillradio.com or listen to Pastor James through our Light on the Hill app. It's free and available to download at the App Store or Google Play. We also have a podcast. We'd love to hear what God is doing in our listeners' lives, so send us an email today. It would mean a lot to Pastor James to hear from you. We also want to pray for you as we realize these are difficult times for so many. Our email address is radio at calvarychapelsignalhill.com. That's radio at calvarychapelsignalhill.com. As we continue to share God's word on stations across the nation, maybe you'd like to support what we're doing. This would be a wonderful time to make a secure donation at lightonthehillradio.com or give through the Light on the Hill app. Pastor James is back with us now. Is the final Antichrist on the scene as we speak? And is that even possible? Will Christians be around when he's finally revealed? The, anti, the final Antichrist could very well be on the scene, right? We just don't know him, and he certainly wouldn't be revealed to the world. Uh, per 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, we know that the final Antichrist can't even be revealed to the rest of the world until Christians are actually raptured. And the reason for that cited later on, a few verses down, is that Christians filled with the Spirit act as the preserving influence that keep all of that from coming into fruition. So the final Antichrist cannot be known to anybody. And certainly we know that the tribulation can't even commence until Daniel 9, 27, when the final Antichrist makes strong the existing covenant. So uh, definitely we do not know who this Antichrist is, nor will we know until we are uh, raptured. Very insightful. And thank you, Pastor James. Now let's hear the rest of our message in Zechariah chapter 11. Verse 9, then the Lord says to Zechariah, then said I, I will not feed you that dieth, let it die, 
that is to be cut off, let it be cut off and let the rest eat everyone the flesh of another. Now, it's interesting because as Israel was beginning to fall apart and as it was beginning to go in a very bad direction, particularly in the city of Jerusalem, there was a massive shortage of food. There was no food available. And as they began to fight, things got worse. And it, it got to the point where they stopped fighting just for the basic reason of feuding. And they actually, as they started to fight, whoever prevailed in the fight that was going on between them, that body would be put down, they would kill that person, and then they would cut open that body and eat that person's flesh. And that was something that was happening a lot in Jerusalem during that time. And so this is, again, a prediction coming true perfectly, as Zechariah had actually predicted it would happen. And so um, very interesting that it says that, and then God says, I'm just going to let it happen. I'm going to let you guys eat each other's flesh. I'm going to let you guys kill each other, slash into each other, destroy each other. I'm just going to let all that happen, right? So very interesting how that all took place, right? And, and the Bible accurately predicted it. Guys, Zechariah predicted it perfectly, absolutely perfectly, right? It's almost like he was a historian who wrote an account of what happened through sort of a poetic kind of a license, right? It's almost like he's writing some kind of Hebrew poetry to kind of draw this picture, but he happened to write it 500 years before it happened, not even 500, 540 years before it happened, 550 years before it happened. What an absolutely astounding picture here that's being created, right? Actually, more than that, I'm sorry, you guys, 600 years before it happened, almost. Uh, just amazing to see what that would have looked like. Amazing, absolutely amazing. It really is. We'll have the rest of this message for you tomorrow on Light on the Hill when Pastor James Cadiz returns to our study in Zechariah. This program is listener supported and brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Signal Hill. I have found that peace only comes from you. I have found that joy only 